North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Well, hello again, and we're back for another podcast this week. So how are you doing, Damien? Good, Gary. I think we're up to podcast number 14, if my math is correct. That's pretty good. Yeah, we're getting getting up there. So yeah, yeah hopefully uh, everyone continues to enjoy them. You just got given another couple of names here by Jock Webster. So really, yeah, he let me know of a few more people. And so our goal of 15 is looking very realistic. Uh, 50, sorry, 15. <laughs> 50 is looking very realistic. F- 15 is very realistic yeah, when you're yeah. on 14. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, 50 is looking very realistic. And um, yeah. Okay, so um, I'm going to give you the honours of doing the introductions today because this is someone that you've known probably all your life, and uh, so I hand over to you. Well, there's on the podcast we want a bit of history as well, like so we want legends in town, and we also want up and coming legends, and we want a bit of history. And for my knowledge, there's not too many people know as much about the history of North Otago living here his whole life than my father, Russell Goodser. So, Dad, good to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you've got a lot of knowledge about um, building bridges over the Waitaki and working on dams and, and building retaining walls around Omaru and things like that. But before we get into all of that, where were you born and... Do you consider yourself a North Otago boy through and through, or...? Yeah, I was born in Dunedin. Um, my father was um, a fireman in the... drove the big ladder and the fire brigade in Dunedin for a few years when I was about to when I went to school and then we come up here. Yeah, and so which part of the district did you move to? Firstly, we went to Georgetown. He, he had a stint with the Georgetown store um, just for two years, I think. And then we shifted to Waitaki Bridge, uh, 1948, I think was the time when we went there. <clears throat> so you've definitely been here for quite some time. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I can remember mostly about Waitaki Bridge. I can't remember about like that. Yeah. So um, you you went to school out at Waitaki Bridge, was it? Exactly that. The old Waitaki Bridge school was going then. It was a single teacher school. And did the whole, all our schooling there right up to standard six. And then at that time we come into Waitaki Boys. So you had the same teacher... For primary school your whole time, or did it change? No, no. no there was two or three different teachers. Yeah. yeah. But there was only one yeah. at a time. Yeah. I just thought if you had one and that one was no good and you had them for the first five years, then it wouldn't be a very good start in life. Oh, they were all good teachers. Were they? Yeah. <laughs> so growing up out there, you know, it was, it was probably a reasonable distance back then. Um, it's still, you know, still a 20-minute drive now. But, um, you know, you... you Grew up in, you know, a pretty um, natural environment with the river and everything. Um, exactly. Probably would have been a great great upbringing there. 
Best place for a kid to be. Yeah, lots of adventures. Plenty of fishing and rabbiting and all that sort of thing. Great. And trips into town, did you sort of come in each week Once for shopping? Once I started work, um, I had to go in and out of town every day. Yeah, that right. was the bugbear of it. And, um, it was, didn't matter what you did, you had to go to town. In the, in the early days, we used to bike into Omaru and the push bike. We might go down the wharf fishing and all that sort of thing. But, but you know, it was not near the traffic that I was now. Yeah. 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 So, and then growing up, you grew up on the Kuiper Road. That's right. And yeah. what did your parents do there? Just a little bit of history, because people might know and or wonder what well, those buildings are on the left as you're going down the Kuiper Road. We had, um, it was a... 60-acre poultry farm and a few sheep and that sort of thing. And the, <coughs> the house, um, the poultry farm itself was a, an area where you could get to the river and Dad didn't mind fishermen driving through right through the yard and out to the river. And that was, he kept in touch with all what's going on with the fishing and everything like that. Because he was involved with uh, the Climatisation Society and he ended up a life member of that. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So let's get on to a wee bit of history about the bridges over the Waitaki. So can you just break it down? So there used to be a road rail bridge and everyone used to go over the same one, is that correct? That's dead right. That was built about the 1880s. Uh, and it was steel sort of girders and concrete poles, concrete poles inside cast iron casings. Yep. And it, it was just used all those years as a combined road rail bridge. And for those who are old enough can remember there was bridge keepers at each end and when the train came, the bridge keeper used to shut the gates so they kept all the cars and let the train go over and then they'd open the gates and away you go again. So set someone at each end? Yeah, there was houses at each end. Right. The bridge keeper at each end of the bridge, night and day. Night, so the trains would go at night time as well? They must have because they were there all the time. Yeah. That's interesting. How many train movements a day was there then, like... Good trains, passenger trains, was it? Yeah, I, I just can't remember, but there was... Um, the passenger train was about three o'clock in the afternoon, which the, was the limited express from Dunedin to Christchurch. And then there was a few passenger uh, good trains as well. But that one at three o'clock was, was the main train. But all, everything went by rail on those days, even the cattle and sheep and everything. Is that right? Yeah. So was that the time where, you know, if, if, if goods had to be freighted in, in, any over a particular distance, they had to go on rail? They weren't allowed to go yeah, on the trucks? That's that was... Yeah. So it was, a, it was a 30 miles or something, something like, like that? Something like that, yeah, 30 yeah. or 40 miles. Oh, so that was actually a rule in New Zealand, you couldn't truck things that far? Hmm. Yeah, we, we used to... When we were, when I was working and doing building and that, 
they tried to get us to get the train to take timber and that to Kuria and then we'd have to put it on the truck and go to... But we sort of dodged around that most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, very good. So, um, so after that road rail bridge, they decided they wanted to build a road bridge... And then after that, they built a new rail bridge. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, yeah. because of it, you know, it was real hard with having their bridge keepers and cars and trucks trying to pass on that rail bridge. So the new road bridge was built in the fifties, and it was opened in about June nineteen fifty six. That took the pressure off the old the old combined road rail bridge. So once the new road was opened, it was a huge occasion then for the traffic just to flow normally. Yeah. And and the rail the the road rail bridge would have been getting a bit rickety by then I imagine. Yeah, it it didn't look like it was, but I suppose there was rules and regulations because when we were building the new rail bridge, um, the trains were only allowed to do 5k an hour or something like that across the old bridge um, because of its condition, I think. So how did you get to work on the rail bridge then? What happened? You're, on my understanding, you're probably the one of the youngest ones there working on that. So Yeah, by quite a long way. Um, it was 1961, I think it was. Started, and I'd just come out of my apprenticeship, and the majority of the personnel on the bridge were, you know, forties plus, and um, because I'd lived on the south side of the bridge, really handy, they must have decided that I, I might be handy to, uh, and, and at odd times. I was by far the youngest. I was 21 when I when we started the. That's quite an exciting project to be working on as a young fella. It was after just building houses, all through my apprenticeship, and that was doing house building. And this was a major uh, change of life, virtually, to work with all those older guys. And pretty streetwise, most of them. <laughs> it was a bit, big, bit more education for you, was it? A big learning curve. <laughs> yeah. So how many years did you work on that? And, yeah. Started what? in 1961, and I didn't stay till the end because Downers shifted me up to uh, Benmore Dam was being built in those days, and Downers got a contract for doing the lift shafts in the Benmore Dam and I got the job of running the night shift on the lift shaft up there. So <coughs> as soon as the pot piers and that were finished, I shifted to Benmore. Yeah. Can you remember what the pay rate was for working on the bridge? It was, when we started on the bridge, it was 70 cents an hour and... That was the, the reason for going there was because <clears throat> you had to work 10 hours a day for five days 
that's Monday to Friday was 10 hours, 7 in the morning till whatever your 10 hours come up to, and 8 hours every Saturday. No, they wouldn't give you time off if you didn't, if you weren't prepared to work those hours, you didn't have a job. So it was, but down was for good pay as they paid time and a half and double time or overtime. But um, we were probably making out there about twice what you could earn in town doing 40 hours a week. You'd be feeling pretty rich. Well, if you wanted to get anywhere, that was the only way you could do it. Yeah. Put the hours in. So what did a young 21, 22-year-old with quite a bit of money in his pocket, did you did you invest it? Did you buy anything nice? Did you? Well, in those days, to get a state advance loan to build a house, you had to own the section. And, you know, like a section... From memory was about eight hundred pound, which is sixteen hundred dollars. When you're only getting seventy cents an hour, it takes took a long time to save up. Yeah, and that's what I was doing there, just uh, trying to save up to buy this section in Albury. Was that the section in Meon Street, or was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So the the going back to the bridge, the um, the old one was timber. Um, this one was going to be a concrete one. Um, so you you were involved in building those piers. So what was were they diverting the river flow um, to, to allow you to build it? How'd you get on getting across the river? Well, there was only one dam. Um, Benmore and Aviemore weren't built then, and it was only like uh, Waitaki was the only dam, and the, the flow didn't seem to be as bad as, like, as much as it is today. So they just pushed the water as we were, the, the bridge was started on the north side. Everything was on the north bank of, of the river. Um, the batching plant they had made their own concrete and everything was on the north side of the river. And they just keep pushing the river South until such times as we got about halfway across, and then they allowed it to come back under what was done. But it was it was always the eight dozers on the job or one anyway, and when there was a big push coming, they would get two or three dozers in from out of town. So, so yeah, quite a, quite a bit of work just pushing that gravel backwards and forwards. Yeah, it was. Uh, everything had to be built on uh, like our smoker rooms and we offices and everything out that was on the islands out there had to be on skids so that the bulldozer could just tow it through the water or whatever. And that was everything was on skids so that it could be just pushed around with a dozer. But it worked good, and you know the, the main room that we had on the, all the way across it was quite big, like you get, there's 30 guys on the job but they didn't all go to the one room at once so you'd probably get 20 men in there having smoko and meetings and whatever else and then that was just towed across 
But the days of every time you wanted to shift down, the days of Toto to go. <clears throat> so you just had a full-time dozer operator. That would have been a good job, or did he also work on the bridge? Yeah, oh, no, he was, he was uh, Benjo Patterson was the old dozer driver in those days, and he was a really good operator. And that, that old D8 worked all the time on the bridge. He, he would push the river around and push buildings here, there and everywhere. And he also lifted a lot of the boxing. They had big RSJs that <coughs> held the boxing up for the spans of the bridge. And that was all lifted up with that big dover. A very good operator. Yeah. You had Banjo Patterson. Any other North Tiger names or any other people there that... People might recognise working on the bridge with you. Well, there was five carpenters. I can't remember how many labourers, but probably all up there was 20-odd, close to 30 of a staff, but it was in two two groups. There was the, the construction side of it, which was, you know, the concrete and that, and then there was the pile-driving side. There was two bosses. Um, Peter Burns was our boss. He was the um, construction side of it. And they just walked around all day making sure everything was done properly. And Charlie Thomas was the boss of the pile driving side of it. And they did their own thing. And <coughs> the, the uh, railways department had Clark works on the job all the time and he, he kept an eye on what you were doing like a building inspector. So it was, everybody had their own boss, if you put it that way, and uh, that's, that's, they didn't work. They just walked around all day supervising and telling, making sure everybody done their job properly. Good. Any characters on the job? About 25. <laughs> <laughs> 25 out of the 30. <laughs> no, no uh, being the youngest there, um, it was a bit of an eye-opener for me. And some of the, because Downers was a big firm and they had a certain number of staff that went with them wherever they went. And, for, for example, Stan, uh, Downers were involved in building the Roxburgh Down Dam, like the Downer and Co. were based in Dunedin, a big firm, construction firm, and they were based in Dunedin, and they were involved in building the Roxburgh Dam with overseas consortium Cubit, Socky and Downer. Cubit, Socky and Downer built the Roxburgh Dam, and previous to getting the contract to build the bridge. They did the Moana Pool contract and built the, all the swimming complex up there and various other reasonably big jobs around Dunedin and that sort of area. But um, when they got the job for the Waitaki Bridge, it was you know, it was going to take three or so years or four years. 
and the poles were supposed to be driven with a six-ton steel hammer, and then they found they couldn't uh, they couldn't drive the poles into that sort of gravel, so they had to dream up another idea that somebody used in America, where they used compressed air and high-pressure water to, to get the, all the gravel out of where the piles went. So it was, it was quite a hold up there while well, that was all designed and thought out. So that's quite interesting. So that is blasted water and air into a hole until it was deep enough to drop your piles in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the piles. <laughs> but like they're doing now with HydroVac, is that, yeah, excavating a... a you know, around pipes and other infrastructure, yeah. it's there uh, yeah. yeah, to be similar principle. Would it just blast through the gravel out there or would it just push it aside? Would it blast through it or would it push it aside? They, they had huge pumps and compressors to force this compressed air and water down. And it came out this, the big casing that was you know, big enough to take a pile and... It took a long time to um, get it right, but when they found they couldn't drive the poles, it was, they had to fix some other idea up, and that was the way it was done. Interesting. So the people on the job, were they all locals, or did some travel around with the company? Yeah, they had their own. Uh, has had a, a, a good core of experienced men and some of them had come from you know miles around and done heaps of work and that's why the workforce seemed to be a lot older than like because I was only 21 I thought they were all middle-aged men but you know the, it was because they were experienced in that type of work they kept them on the owners were good at retaining men because after I worked on the bridge, I went to up to um, Benmore, and then when that job was finished, they wanted me to go to some um, reservoir in the North Island, which I didn't want to do anyway. But they were good at keeping men; yeah. like they paid you well to keep you there. Use your experience. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. Um, there is a story though that possibly you're the only one alive today knows the story, and it's about a a wood chopping incident that happened while you're out on the working on the new rail bridge. Do you want to share that one with us? Because this is probably the only time this story's been passed around in fifty odd years, and um, you're possibly the only one that can keep it alive and. We record it for history. Yeah, well, it's probably fair enough to say that um, one of the bosses, not our boss, but the boss on the pole driving rig, um, is one of those guys that didn't matter what you'd done, we, if you're discussing fishing, he'd always caught the biggest fish, and if you're discussing shooting, he'd always shot the biggest pig or the biggest deer. And this went on and on. And uh, 
I don't know how it come about, but one when we had a wet day out there, they wouldn't let you go home in case the rain went off. So we had this big smoker room where we'd all sit in there and out of the rain until it was too dangerous to work in the rain, so we had to wait. And if the rain hadn't gone off by two or three o'clock, they'd let us go home. But this particular day, we were in the smoko hut and um, waiting on the rain to go off. <coughs> and um, something came up about wood chopping. And the boss man, Charlie, said, I did a lot of wood chopping in my day. He said, in fact, he said, I'm pretty good at, uh, at wood chopping. And um, he said, because I've done a lot of it, he said, I would say that I could chop any man on this job. And he said, I'm prepared to say that I'll, um, I'll chop any man on the job for a hundred pounds. <laughs> And that was a lot of money. <laughs> so, so this is the competitive wood chopping yeah. type. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, competition stuff. And he was prepared. He thought he was that good. He's going to put a hundred pound on. That's what he said. Yeah. He said, "I'll chop any man on this job uh, for a hundred pound." And so, any any takers? Way down the back of the room, there was an elderly chap there. Dark overalls and that, and Jack Knight was his name. <coughs> and Jack said, uh, Charlie, he said, I can't afford to top you for a hundred pounds. But he said, I'll tell you what I will do. He said, because it's nearly Christmas, he said, on the last day of the year when we have a breakup, he said, I'll chop you for a four and a half gallon keg of beer. <laughs> and um, whoever wins has to buy the keg of beer and that goes... Whoever loses, yeah. 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 Oh, you're right, that, that, that's no problem, I'll do that. So um, that's what happened and... We had a crash course on getting wood ready, ready for chopping and, and it, Charlie, the boss, had a very flash um, axe and Jack Knight, the other guy, had a, an older looking axe that he brought to work on the, on the last day and everything was lined up and it was... It got around the village that um, there was so many people interested. There was half the Navy and Waitaki turned up <laughs> to watch this wood chopping thing. But anyway, um, they all get it lined up and it, it was, you had to stand on the logs and it was all done properly. So uh, when they started off the chopping, old Jack Knight was quite an elderly guy then, and he started off and away they went and Charlie the boss was going for his life and 
Jack just took several whacks out of his and then he turned around and several more whacks out and Charlie wasn't halfway through his and Jack was finished. <laughs> <laughs> so the old guy came through. Much, cheer, much cheering. And the, the boss could not believe that somebody could beat him at that time. But <clears throat> so he had to get in the Land Rover and go up to the Navy Hotel and and buy the keg of beer for the boys. And it turned out that um, two years previously there was a royal show in Invercargill and the Queen was at the royal show and they put uh, a demonstration chopping exhibition on for the Queen. And the two, one of the two best axemen in New Zealand were, were doing the doing the chop, and um, just happened we found out later that uh, Jack Knight was one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he well. was one of the two top wood chopping experts in New Zealand. Exactly. And um, this other guy walked right into his trap. <laughs> Yeah. But he didn't let on. Yeah, very clever. It sounds like a popular win. It was. <laughs> oh, that's pretty priceless. So you went from there up to the um, Benmore Dam. At what stage was that at when you got up to the Benmore Dam? Uh, it was, they were still building it and there was a lift shaft. Went from down the bottom of the dam to the top that, that took the had to build it to take the lift and it was something like three metre round and uh, Downer's job was to concrete that lift shaft. Yeah. And <coughs> it was a night shift and a day shift and I got the job of running the night shift. Yeah. Which was... And you would have done it in sections, did you? Yeah, we used to do so many metres at a time and then we had shutters that went up and yeah dangerous very was um was it uh, we had a an area we we used to go up and down in the in the bucket on the on the lift um the, we call that the crane that oh, was a police system wasn't it no it's a I don't know what you call it, it goes up and down, taking the lower and everything down. And it, you could walk up, they had ladders all the way up, but it would take, took ages, but everything went up and down by the, by the winch. And uh, we had a, like a wooden area over the top of us, so that if any stones come down, that they wouldn't hit us. It was quite dangerous, but we got used to it, and um, <clears throat> we did have a terrifying moment down there. One, we were we had a telephone from where we were working up to the top, and we had a lift man up there driving the winch. We used to ring him up and say we wanted so and so lowered down, and he would lower. This particular day or night it was, um, I rang him up and said, we need 
I mean, links of 12 millimeter steel. And he, would, he was just a new operator and we didn't know, but he didn't know anything. So the next thing, um, the steel's coming down and we hear this voice from way up above, look out! And um, the steel, he only put a slip knot on, knot on the on the winch rope and lowered the steel over the side and of course it, all the inside steel shot. Oh no. And you got a, a lot of javelins some, we suddenly coming to, at you. We were trying to crawl into the wall to, thinking how the hell we were gonna, what was going to happen. But anyway, got a whip on on the way down and it dug into the bank and it didn't come down on us apart from a few stones. But um, Scary stuff. What happened when you got to, am I allowed to answer <laughs> that, when you got to the top and that man was sitting there, what happened when you, a few grumpy builders climbed up out of there? We had to climb up the ladders, Yeah, which took quite a while and I think there were six of us and we weren't happy, whatever. And um, I don't think I had the rank to sack him, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised he was still there. <laughs> yeah, so you, that was it, you sent him on his way? I just told him that you know, no way we were working under him anyway. And uh, that next morning at breakfast, when we used to meet up with the other shift, told them what had happened. And of course, all the steel rods and all that were still where, where they left. But that was so scary. You could see how somebody's incompetence could kill people. Yeah. You just wouldn't be allowed to do it that way nowadays. But, oh, no. Yeah. No, you wouldn't. But they, it, he was, uh, he'd sort of falsified what he could do and he wasn't a, a lift operator yeah. as such. And um, he put, you know, six guys' lives at risk, but it, it didn't happen, so it was good. Probably he's lucky as a long climb up those ladders, six grumpy builders running up there wanting to grab hold of him. He could have been the next one down the shaft if it was a bit closer. It was, it was, you wouldn't believe how scary it was waiting on the, the stuff to come down and it didn't get down. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, big scare there and uh, yeah, quite an adventure, but obviously, you know, pretty impressive dam. It was the largest earth dam in, in the southern hemisphere or something. There'd been more here. Yeah. It, it, it was, and uh, Downer and Company um, had a hell of a job getting staff at that stage. Of, I don't know what year it was, in the early 70s. And uh, they had to design a contract system so that people wouldn't go away. <coughs> on a Friday night and not come back till Tuesday or something like that and it actually was a, a very good system for making money like we got we were really well paid for what we did up there and you were living in Otomatata yeah yep. they, they boarded us in the single man's camp out up there it didn't cost us anything for board and uh, no it was, it was probably one of the better jobs money wise you know, it's like everything else, it didn't last long. Yeah. 
and then you made your way back to Omaru, and then you've a lot of the retaining walls people drive past them and probably don't really notice them or so you've pretty much built all of the retaining walls that hold back parts of um, the hills and that round the in the town of Omaru. Yeah, pretty much so, especially Allen Street and all that. Has, uh, that was all done. I don't know what you'd call this. It was contract work. We had to, the council did the excavation and we had to supply the concrete and the steel and all the boxing and do that. But the way we did it in those days, like you wouldn't even be allowed to go. Near it today, like we didn't have any scaffold or anything like that. We used to just run up and down the boxing, and um, yeah, but it worked. Yeah, well, it's still there today. Yeah, it's still yeah. doing its job. So you must have done a good job. When you, I think I've some got some cuttings at home of what we got for doing it, and like you wouldn't believe what in today's money how how cheap it was mm. to get it done in those days. Like, I can't remember the figures now, but the middle of the road <coughs> from Torrid Street up to the top of the hill, uh, Elm Street was just so many thousand dollars, but it wasn't much. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, I mean, you look at them, you, you, you're right, Damien. I mean, you go past it, you take it for granted, but actually thinking about, yeah, how was that put there? It's um, It was quite a feat, and, um, you know, because they're quite sizable. Yeah, you know, the, chunks of concrete. Some of the ones round down the south end of Allen Street were up to 30 foot high. Hmm. And it was all, there was no pumps or anything in those days. It was all hived up and with cranes and hived mostly. And, and we were lucky we had Robert Manson driving the digger and Skippy Wall driving the hive and you could trust your life with those two guys. Yeah. And you had to because <laughs> you're working under them all the time, but they were so good. Yeah, we've had some good and guys like Graham Cloud, did he? Um, no, Graham Johnson. Johnson, sorry. Did yeah. he, was he on a crane in those days then or? No, we didn't use a crane. We used a hire most of the time. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And Jeffy uh, Ward did the, drove the hire for Waitaki Hobbit. Yeah. <coughs> Oh, very good. Any other big projects you've you know you, you want to mention? I don't think of anything offhand. Um, Is that all the pavers at St Kevin's? Have you ever gone to St Kevin's? Their whole driveway oh, okay. up and around? That was a massive project, wasn't it? I was working for, um, with Fulton and Hogan in those days. Yeah. But I think you pretty much laid every paver. I remember in my school holidays going behind, putting piles of pavers there, and you just chuck them in. It was... You had yeah, one other person. It was um, Fulton, uh, yeah, Fulton and Hogan had the contract and we helped him out. It, it was a big job. Yeah, yeah. No, great job. So um, sport, you um, obviously a spectator at, at wood shopping at one stage, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, what sport did you get up to? Uh, by living out at Waitaki Bridge, we got involved with... Um, Navy tug of war team, and <clears throat> it was we started in the late 60s, 68, I think. And 
um, Pop Timoro and Tama Timoro were involved in the Maori Timoro Brothers tug of war team in the in the fifties. But when they retired, it sort of folded up. So <coughs> Pop and Tama got some of us locals to get together and put put together a team. We did for quite a few years, and every second year we used to go to the North Island to <clears throat> compete for the New Zealand Open Weight title, and um, I think we were a runner-up for something like seven years before we finally won, won it. There was always one team just that much, a wee bit better, but we did win it in 1975. Right. So national title. So who was all in that team? So you were New Zealand Tug Award champions, all from Glenavy. Who was the team? So Pop was a skip. Yeah. And, and Tama was number one. Yeah, and Edwin Smith, uh, Bill Heath, Barry Sweet, and me. Wow. What a good team. So we weren't the biggest guys. And uh, we were lucky that Pop was a very good skip. So what we didn't, what we didn't make up for in size, we made up in craftiness. <laughs> <laughs> good technique. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was. It was heaps of fun, and uh, we met a lot of great guys. This tug of war was was a big thing, wasn't it? It was. It was you know, yeah, clubs well, everywhere. And. Um, North Island was very strong. You know, we had a hell of a job to, get, you know, to win a title. They always just pipped us. Sometimes it would be only by five, five millimetres or something like that, but it was just enough. But it was good fun and it kept you fit and uh, great teamwork. But we had, we had a... a we did a lot of training and we had a balance that we used to pull against and we'd have to pull and hold like 850 pounds for like half a minute or something like that. And when we went to a tug of war team and you look at some of these big guys and some of them were huge, Pop used to say to us, other people couldn't hear. He said, "They'll be hard for the first minute." <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. If you if you played your cards right, you could wear them down mm. and give them heaps in the second minute, and they were beaten. So you just you just lock up, let them do all the yeah. We did. Strategy. We had all sorts of strategy, and right. It was uh, that was half the fun of it was dreaming up ideas that we, where we could. Wear them down, and it won a lot of tug of wars in the last half minute or so. Ah, very good. So, um, I guess you've you've had quite a full life. So you've won salmon fishing competitions on the Waitaki River, and you've been involved with search and rescue with the Jeep Boating Association. You've searched the Waitaki River, and you've helped out there, and you've been quite involved in North Otago for quite a few years now. Yeah. But it's all been good because 
But we didn't realise at the time how good the, the fishing was on the Waitaki River and we just thought it would go on forever, but it hasn't. And, uh, but in the old days where you were allowed four salmon a day, it wasn't hard to get that. Would you throw some back and hope to get a bigger one later or would you just take what you could? Most of them were big. Were they? <laughs> yeah. And um and so your father has a claim to fame as far as a salmon out of the Waitaki River goes. What would that be? Yeah, he in in his retirement he used to drive out to Ferry Road in his XJ six and park it there and he fished there for quite a while and behind a willow tree and um, we used to go up the river in the boat and say to him, do you want to come for a ride? No, no, I quite like it here. And I think I said to him one day, you'll never catch a fish behind that tree. Come with us. No, no, I like it here. And about two days later he rang me up and he said, uh, you better come and have a look at this. And it was 42 pounds. <laughs> wow. A 42 pound salmon. Yeah. And so to our knowledge, it's the second. Oh, there was a few about that. Yeah. But it was, he got it mounted and it was in the Navy Hotel. Yeah. And it was still there, I think. Well, it's one of the heaviest salmon ever to be caught out. And I don't, can't see them ever getting back to that size ever again, 42 pound. That's, that's no. huge. No, but um, there was one or two caught about that same era, you know, that same size, but um, not many. Yeah. Uh, and it's sitting there preserved for yeah. history. Yeah. Well, just the photo of him holding it, just the way he's holding it up, <laughs> you know, up to his chest and the tail's just about touching the ground, like... Yeah, they're big fish. And it's got the old jag in the back of the photo. It's just, yeah, massive oh, fish. Very cool. Um, how big was the one you won the fishing competition with in comparison? Do you know? No, no, nowhere near that. So no. 20-something pounds. Half the size. <laughs> yeah. Still pretty impressive. Yeah, still a decent salmon. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's great. Well, thanks very much for joining us. Russell, um, I, this is usually a time where Damien might have a couple of extra questions, but I'll just uh, see. Oh no, you can ask the questions today, Gary. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Well, okay. Um, yeah, what, what did Damien get up to when he was a kid that you want to tell us about? You should ask Derek Beveridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good answer. Uh, That'll do us. Yeah, oh, good question, Gary. Um, yeah, I uh, know. Thanks for coming in today. We really appreciate the history. I just know there's a lot more stories you can share and you can tell, but that was really good hearing about um, just how the bridges worked across the Waitaki and then actually working on the dams and, and then coming back in and building the retaining walls around North Otago. So you've really left your mark on the district. And then also your, your sporting achievements and your fishing achievements. You're, you're really part of this this land and you you know it's been good to you and you've been good to it so thank you very much for coming in and you produced Damien of course so <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know it's all been a lot of fun you know like when you look back now and see how lucky we were to be in that era that people aren't going to be able to catch fish like that or 
do things that we did because there's that many rules, regulations and whatever else now. So it's a lot yeah. harder. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's great talking to someone and just finding out the, th- you know, the pretty cool things that they've been involved in over their lives. And um, so thank you very much for taking the time to share that with us and with the listeners on the podcast. Uh, it's, it's really interesting, you know, just seeing actually, you know, what how were things created or built back in the day when, you know, you didn't have big cranes and everything to do all the job for you. So, um, so well done. Thanks very much. Oh, that was good, Gary. Yeah. Did you find out a bit more about your dad? Yeah, a few things. Excellent. Well, I wanted to know the stories he wouldn't tell us about <laughs> what some of those men got up to and misbehaving. And I'm sure you get 30 guys all in one smoker shed. I'm sure things would... Uh, There'd be some shenanigans for sure, Gary. Oh, you? for sure. Yeah. No, I mean it was. It's, it's always one of the great ways to pass time, isn't it? Especially yeah. if you're sitting there waiting for the rain to stop. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Definitely. Some good stories. Yeah. Um, so that's good history. We're also always out for some good history of the district. So if you know of some more history or something that has been shared today's job to memory in you and you know someone that's worked somewhere or created something or done something, hey, let us know here at North Otago Legends Up and Comers and a bit of history and we'll try our best to get them on. Um, but, yeah, thanks for listening today and um, we'll see you all next week. Thanks very much, everyone.